Well, let's go ahead and take our Bibles. Turn over the book of Exodus one more time. Exodus chapter 14, verse 1. We're going to go ahead and uh, finish up, I trust, this uh, message or lesson, if you will, on victory. Exodus chapter 14. Glad you could be here this evening. I'm glad you made the time to be in this place. I trust that before you leave... You'll say as the psalmist did, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Exodus 14. All right, beginning in verse 1, and again, I I don't know if I'm seeing very straight today. So you'll have to excuse me if some of these words come out wrong. All right? And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel... But they turn and encamp before Pehoroth. Did you look it up? That is right on the money tonight. (laughs) Well, okay. Well, anyway. Between Migdal and the sea over against Baal-Zephon, before it shall ye encamp by the sea. For Pharaoh will save the children of Israel. They are entangled in the land. The wilderness hath shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, that he shall follow after them. And I will be honored uh, upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. And it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And they said, Why have we done this? That we have let Israel go from serving us. And he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. He took six hundred chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with a high hand. But the Egyptians pursued after them. All the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army overtook them encamping by the sea beside Pihiroth. Pihiroth. Before Baal Zephon. I'm getting closer. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid, and the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. They said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will shew to you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you. And ye shall hold your peace. In the passage, of course, we have a tremendous victory that takes place. And the crux of the issue is the last verse, found in the last verse. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. The enemy is closing in. The people are concerned. But Moses points them to God and says, you already have the victory. You needn't whine or cry. You needn't. Be concerned, you are already the victor, and God is going to give you the victory. 
And he did. He did exactly what Moses said he would. And he did exactly what he told Moses he would. Now again, I think it's important to realize that in many situations we feel as though the enemy is weighing down on us. Bearing down on us. It seems as though we're under the gun. And it seems that the pressure or the, the, the is on and that the heat is up. But we need to understand that as believers we already have the victory. It's already ours in Jesus Christ. And so tonight I want to continue our lesson. I want to begin to speak about three, character, three things, basically. I want to touch on three aspects of the victorious life. And so let's go ahead and get right into it. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we ask, Lord, you'd bless us now, encourage us, and strengthen us. May we be instructed and, Father, inspired, Father, to claim the victory and to live victoriously in this life. Thank you, Father, for all that you've done and all that you're going to do. Lord, we need not be bound by sin. We need not be bound by self or even by Satan. We are already more than conquerors through him. So, Lord, help us now, Father, to experience the victory and to claim it in Christ's name. Amen. First of all, I want to note some characteristics of the victorious life. Some characteristics. Number one, it's a peaceful life. It's a peaceful life. If you experience a victorious life, it's a very peaceful life. In Isaiah 30, verse 15, the Bible says, For thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, In returning and rest shall ye be saved. In quietness and in confidence shall be your strength. Well, I'll tell you what, we've already got that peaceful life. Uh, we have the, the, the victorious life, and it manifests itself in a peaceful spirit. It's also not only a peaceful life, but it's an overflowing life. In the book of John, chapter 7, verse 37 through 39, it says, In the last days, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Of course, he spake this. He spake, uh, excuse me, but this he spake of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because the Jesus was not yet glorified. Now again, he said that, that, he, said that uh, he that believeth on me, as the Scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water, an abundant life, an abundant life, found in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, an abundant life. So it's a peaceful life. It's an overflowing life. It's, an, it's, it's a, a joyful life. In John 15, 11, These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that ye might be full. Again, a very joy-filled life, a joyful life. It's a liberated life, a liberated life. In Romans 6, 7, For he that is dead is freed from sin. A liberated life. It's a triumphant life. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the Savior of His, savor of His knowledge by us in every place. Again, no, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ. It is a liberating life, a triumphant life, and finally, it's a loving life. It's a loving life. In John 2, 5, 1 John 2, 5, But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. Again, Jesus Christ is our victory. And we noted some characteristics of the victorious life. But now I want to note some considerations of that same life. Considerations of the victorious life. 
I want you to understand, first of all, that it's not a sinless life, but a life in which we sin less. It's not a sinless life, but a life in which we sin less. Now, again, the first is unobtainable in this life. There's no way that you and I are going to ultimately live the life that is perfect and sinless in this life. Now, I didn't say that it wasn't theoretically possible. It is. In Christ, you and I have the ability to live a sinless life. You say, no, I don't. Yes, you do. If you and I would walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust, we would not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If we would be filled with the Spirit, then we wouldn't, again, sin against God. We would obey the Lord in every aspect of our life. However, the reality is, is as I look over mankind and I even view myself, I realize that there are times I allow this flesh to get the victory. Now, that's not what God ever intended. So, by rights, you and I never, ever have an excuse for sinning. Every time I sin... It is no one's fault but mine. It's not my wife's fault, my husband's fault. It's not, it's not the, the, my employee, my employer's fault. It's not um, my children's fault. It's not the uh, grocery store attendant or the cashier at the, the grocery store. It's not the, the uh, girl or guy working the counter at McDonald's who messed up my order. Hey, listen, it's not even God. It's my fault. My fault. It's not a sinless life, but it's a life in which we sin less. So, the first is unobtainable, but the second one is obtainable. You and I can have victory over sin. We need not be bound and allow it to continually rule our life. Secondly, it's not an abnormal life or a life to be enjoyed by just a few of God's children. His provision for victory, has been extended and given to each and every one of us. That means that victory ought to be the rule, not the exception. That means as we look across the the, the face of our, our church, as we look across the pews and as we note the people, we ought to see a, a an overwhelming abundance of victory. We shouldn't see a lot of sad faces and in, in very down-in-the-mouth type of looks. We ought to see joy in the faces of people at Community Baptist Temple. There ought to be a sense of expectation and a sense of hope and confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, if you're struggling and you are having difficulties and maybe you are feeling somewhat overwhelmed with your circumstances... I don't share those things to somehow discourage you, but instead to say to you, you needn't be ruled by defeat. You can allow victory to reign in your life. It is all possible. And it's part of God's program if you get on board. In Ephesians 3.8, he says, Unto me, who am less than the least of the saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. The, The Apostle Paul says, Listen, He says, I'm the least of all saints, and yet God gives me this tremendous privilege. I'm going to tell you, I don't care what level of sainthood you feel yourself to be, you have the same privilege of victory in your life as the greatest Christian that you know. 
In Acts chapter 10, verse 34, the Bible says, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. Now listen, we love to utilize verses like that when it comes time for us, uh, you know, and, and others. We say, well, God's no respecter of persons. I don't know why you think you're better than me. God's no respecter of persons. Who do you think you are? How's come you get this? Or how's come you've gotten that? Or how's come he got promoted? God's no respecter of persons. Unfortunately, the, the leadership at Community Baptist Temple is. Now hold on. Let's go ahead and use that same stuff here and let's turn it around. God's no respecter of persons. That means you have no excuse for not being victorious because if I can be victorious and he can be victorious and she can be victorious, so can you because God is no respecter of persons. So quit using something as an excuse. Every one of us can have victory in our life. God is no respecter of persons. He treats us all on an equal plane. You yield to Him. He surrenders and submits to you, so to speak, the very blessings that He has for you. And listen, God has always wanted to extend His best to each and every one of His children. There's no child that He wants to extend it more to. He wants to extend it to whomever is opening their mouth wide and their arms open. Also, not only do we see that it's not a sinless life, but a life in which we sin less. It's not, it, it's not an abnormal life, but it's one to be enjoyed by all believers and all His children. But you know what? It's not a life where there's no temptation, but a life where temptation is overcome. In Hebrews 4.15, we read, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He said, of course Jesus was without sin. He's God. He, he was perfect. Yeah, but you've got to understand, He came in the same flesh that you now have. He was tempted just like as you are. Yet He was victorious. You say, I know, that's my point. He, but He still was God, and, and He was victorious. But I'm just little old me. Wait, you have Him living in you. If you know Christ. You already have the victory in Jesus Christ. He lives in you. Therefore, if you'll let him live, get out of you, that's what you'll have, victory. We keep him all bottled up inside. So all we find and all we experience and all that we demonstrate is defeat because he's bottled up inside. Instead of letting him live in and through us, we let the flesh operate us and control us. And what happens? Well, what's natural? Sin. Defeat. And ultimately ruin. Not only that, but it's not, it's, it's, it's not a life of outward victory only, though. Because a lot of times when we think about victory, we think about just simply overcoming temptation or, or being able to put the bottle down or being able to get rid of the drugs or being able to put away pornography and all of those things. And that's all true, and, and that's part of victorious Christian living, overcoming the flesh, yes. But it's not just outward victory, but a life of inward Victory as well. I mean, ultimately, we're overcoming those thoughts in our mind. We're getting victory over those things that seem to trip us up internally. Because really, out of the abundance of the heart, the Bible says, the mouth speaketh. So really, what I am inside is what ultimately comes out. True victory is allowing Christ to rule and reign on the throne of my life first, inwardly, and then ultimately expressing that rulership outwardly. 
Too many times we go ahead and we, we mirror the behavior of those around us. And because we've mirrored that behavior, we somewhat embrace a sense of, of self-gratification. We say to ourselves, I'm pretty faithful and I'm pretty consistent and I'm pretty spiritual because I do what he does and what she does. But that's not the real gauge or litmus test for spirituality. Spirituality is found not on the outward but on the inward, which ultimately does produce outward works and deeds. But it begins inwardly. Who are you on the inside? Are you getting victory daily in your life? I mean, you may be smiling on the outside, but be totally and completely defeated on the inside. You may be smiling on the outside, but frowning on the inside. Now listen, I'm all for faking it till you make it. I don't believe one Sunday school teacher at Community Baptist Temple ought to walk up to their little podium or pulpit and go, Kids, I just want you to know I've had a horrible week. I wish I could teach better, but I just haven't had time to study and prepare because I've been so bored out at work, and I just can't tell you. Take your Bible. Turn over to John 3.16 for a minute. Let's try to get through this. You dirty dog. How dare you, how dare you walk into that pulpit and start talking about how hard a, day, a week you've had. Do you realize what some of those kids have endured and gone through, especially down there in those A and B bus routes? You have no clue. Your week is a joy ride compared to some of their lives. And how dare we get up in that pulpit and somehow give God a black eye and say to those kids, my God is powerful enough to save you. He's just not powerful enough to deliver me. Wow, who do you think they're really watching? You. Not God right now. They're watching you. I'm just saying, you may be smiling on the outside, but you better be serious on the inside too. You've got to make sure that you're having victory in here. So, we notice that it's not just outward victory, but inward as well. Also, and lastly, concerning that particular issue, or the, should I say the cons- considerations, it's not a life where further growth in grace is unnecessary. It's not a life where further growth in grace is unnecessary. It's a life of consistent growth. We don't just one day wake up to the fact that we now are victorious. And then all of a sudden... We never have to work at it again. I I don't know about you, but if you've ever talked to anybody that's been successful in business, you'll find if you really discuss some things with them, they'll say to you things like this. What it took to get where I am is what it takes to keep me on top. The moment you start to slow down, back off, or retreat in business is the moment you start to decline in sales, so to speak. You have to do the very thing that it took to get there in order to remain there. Listen, if McDonald's would stop today and say, we have already arrived, we're the number one food chain in America, we have got it settled and we've got it locked locked in, we are good to go, and they stopped coming up with innovative ideas to advertise and trying to reach another segment of the society and another portion of a culture, if they would cease to do those things pretty soon, not long, They wouldn't be on top. And I tell you, in your Christian life, it's not enough to once arrive at victory. You have to continue in this state. And it's something you must continue to grow in, the grace of God, continually, or by nature you're already going backwards. 
Number three, let's finally talk about the certainties of a victorious life. Again, we've, we've noted the characteristics. We've noted the considerations of a victorious life. Now let's look at the certainties of a, Christ, of a victorious life. First of all, our human effort is vanity. It's useless. It's empty. One of the misconceptions about getting victory in a Christian life is that I have to do it. Now, I'm not going to say that you don't have a part in obedience to Christ. You do. We all do in every aspect of our life. However, victory, as we've already expressed, is not found in me as a person. It's found in the Lord in me. He is the victory. See, so in reality, we weren't saved from the penalty of sin in our own strength. We know that. The penalty of sin was death. Not just physical death, but eternal death. To be eternally separated from God forever in the lake of fire. This is the second death, the Bible tells us, in Revelation chapter 20, verse 14. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Therefore, what we find then is that this salvation from the penalty of sin was not not based in our own strength, it was His power, His strength. Not only that, but we're not saved from the power of sin in our own strength. Not just the penalty of sin, but the power of sin. I mean, every day we walk through life, and every day we're faced with temptation, and every day we face obstacles in our spiritual life. Boy, do we turn down this road, or do we turn down that road? Do we go through that door, or do we go through that door? Boy, it's not easy, is it? I mean, there are billboards posted everywhere that may tempt us in the wrong direction. There are advertisements on television that seem to just really bring us down to the real depths of hell. I'm sorry, but it's just very, it can be very discouraging at times that you think to yourself, I'm doing really well. I've read my Bible. I've prayed. I feel like I'm on top side. And then you get blindsided. All I'm saying is it's a continual battle. And the truth is, is that really... To be saved, or the power to save us from, uh, should I say, the, to, we're not saved from the power of sin in our own strength again. I don't just come up and say, uh, you know, uh, make up my mind. I'm not going to sin anymore. I'm just not going to sin. Now listen, you have to come to that conclusion, but you won't do it yourself. You know, you can't just say, well, I'm going to just keep sinning until God seems to deliver me. When God delivers me, then I'll be, I'll be good. Well, you'll never be delivered. Do you want to be delivered? Are you sick of sin? Does it bother you that you're captive and bother you that you are bound and that you are chained by sin? Does that bother you? I don't know that it bothers us as much in America anymore as it used to. I don't know if the church is really that concerned with holiness. I'm not so convinced even that we really want to live a life that is Christ-honoring as much as we would like others to believe it. Listen, I war with it just like you war with it. But here's the point one more time, is that the power of sin in our life is overcome not in our own strength, but in His. Not only that, but we're not going to be saved from the presence of sin in our own strength. Again, we talk about the penalty, the power, but the presence. One day, you and I will be free from the very presence of sin. Jesus said, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Oh, we get in His presence. We're not going to be around sin. That's not going to be something that is in God's presence. 
He goes on to say in Revelation 21, 27, And there shall in no wise enter into it, talking about New Jerusalem, anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination, or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Notice again, no one, nothing, that, nothing that whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie. Nothing that defiles. I mean, we're talking about that place will be free from the presence of sin. That's God again doing that. You're not able to do that. I can't do that. I can't just say, I'm going to be free from the presence of sin. I will it to happen. Only the Lord can do that. Only He can do that. in the passage that we read just a few moments ago in Exodus chapter 14, Moses and the people of God are in a hopeless position or seemingly hopeless position. And God steps in. And what's He do? He saves them. Did they have any part in their deliverance? No. None. Moses says, would you guys just be quiet? Would you quit worrying and be quiet? Would you just knock it off for a minute? Would you just let God do the saving? I know, but we feel like we need to do something. We're very upset. We're really, really getting a little bit perturbed with this whole mess you put us in, Moses. Would you guys just please be quiet? Say nothing and watch God work. And God did. The Bible says, be still and know that I am God. You know what the greatest, one of the, one of the most damaging things that you and I can do when we're in a mess is to try to do something about it. First thing we do, I'm going to get out of this mess. Well, have you talked to the one who allowed you to get into it? Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Well, preacher, you know what you just said, don't you? Yeah, I know exactly what I said. God let you get in that mess. That's exactly what I said. Oh, let me rephrase that. God let you get in that mess. Is that easier to understand? You know, let me tell you something. You know what the people of God think? The people of God are under this misconception that somehow God is supposed to deliver them or keep them out of every danger, every pitfall, keep them out of every fire. Oh, let's see. Tell Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that. Tell Daniel that down there in the pit of the lion's den. I'm just saying, God permitted you in that mess. Obviously, He wants you to understand and learn something. I didn't say that your sin put you there necessarily. It may not have. But either way, God permitted you to be in that situation or in that circumstance. Why is it then that we're always trying to fix it if we didn't put ourselves in it? Let's let God have His place in our life. God, what is it that you want to teach me? God, how is it that you want me to approach this? Lord, what should be my attitude in this mess? And how should I respond to people? Well, that's a good idea. Be still and know that I'm God. Be quiet for a minute and let God do His work. Let God deliver us. The year is 1920. The scene was the examining board for selecting missionaries. Standing before the board was a, a young man by the name of Oswald Smith. Oswald Smith. One dream seemed to captivate and dominate his heart. One dream. All he wanted to do was be a missionary. He ate, slept, and drank it. All he could think about was getting on the mission field. 
Over and over again, he prayed and he prayed, Lord, I want to go to the missionary, a mission field for you. I want to be a missionary for you, Lord. Open the door of service for me. Give me an open door. Now at last, his prayers seemed to have been answered. There he was, standing before the examination board, only to be turned down. He didn't meet their qualifications. So what did he do? I quit. I forget serving God. No, he didn't do that. When he failed that test, when he finally was drummed out, so to speak, when he was told he couldn't be a missionary, by the way, he listened to them. Kind of liked that part. Oswald, Oswald Smith began to pray again. And you know what God did? God planted another idea in his heart. If he could, couldn't go as a missionary, he'd build a church in which he could send them out. And that's exactly what Oswald Smith did. He pastored the People's Church in Toronto, Canada. He sent out more missionaries than any other church in that time. As a matter of fact, his missions budget a number of years ago, back in the mid-1900s, was a million dollars a year. His church had 200 people in it. I just thought I'd see how that you responded. Obviously, you're all sleeping. <clears throat> but he did not have that as many people as you think he had. They had a heart for missions. They loved missions. And Oswald Smith brought that passion to the pulpit, ultimately to the people. See, Oswald Smith could have threw his hands in the air and said, God, you don't know what you're doing. The enemy's attacking and I'm discouraged and I, I just can't keep going. But he allowed God. He said, God, what are you trying to teach me in this? What is it that you want from me in the midst of all of this mess? I want the victory. I don't want to live a defeated life. And he listened to God, and God put that burden on his heart, that vision on his heart. And he did what no other man had done to that time. We see that our human effort is vanity. That's a certainty concerning the victorious life, but also that Jesus Christ is the victory. We've noted this already and we've discussed it, but in 1 Corinthians 15, 57, the Bible says, But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the victory. It's through Him. There's no victory outside of Christ. He is the victory. It's not given. It's not obtained. It's already ours. The moment you receive Christ, the moment He's... In your life, you have the victory. But also we see that not only is victory given, but victory is a gift. Again, it needs to be received. It's already yours, yes. But it has to be received. The victorious Christian life is a gift, and it's offered to every one of us. But you have to be willing to accept it. You ever talk to somebody, try to give them something, and they don't want it? 
I'd like you to have this. Oh, no, 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 thank you. No, that's all right. No, really, I, I wish you, I would love to give this to you. Now, see, I just, Brother Gary has not offered me, you know, a triple Baconator lately. I, I promise I won't turn you down, brother, if you offer it. But, uh, works at Wendy's. That's heaven on earth, by the way, folks. Triple Baconator. And it also gets you there quicker. But anyway... <clears throat> <laughs> but have you ever had somebody say something to you like, man, I'd like you to have this. No, no, that's all right. I don't want to have it. No, 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 that's okay. I don't want it. You know, you can't make someone take it. It may be something that you want them to have, and it may, you may be passionate about them receiving it and accepting it, but if they won't take it, it doesn't matter how much you want them to have it. You know what? Christ lives in us, and we already have the victory, but we have to accept that and receive it. We have to acknowledge that. See, it must be received, but it also must be realized. There's only one victorious life. And when you received Jesus Christ, you received it. You received the life. In 1 John 5, 4, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. I'm struggling in my life. Of course you're struggling. That's how life goes. It's never easy to live for Jesus Christ in a world that's so sinful and wicked. It's going to be a battle. It's going to be a struggle. But yes, let me tell you something. It's certainly a joy-filled life. It's an overflowing life. It's a victorious life. Yeah, there are battles to face and battles to fight, but there are victories to be won. Whosoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. It must be realized. And although you've received that life, you must let Him live His life in you and through you. Because, see, when it's all said and done, not only is it given, not only is it a gift, but it is... The victorious life is a voluntary life. You have to live it voluntarily. No one can make you victorious and no one can... No one can get you there but Christ and you. You can sit across my desk every day of the week and walk away defeated until you choose that victory. Robert Louis Stevenson, he hadn't enjoyed one single day of good health in 14 years. One day when he had been forced to set aside his writing because of well, violent coughing and just hacking, and he couldn't even sit up. He was choking to death. His wife said to him, I suppose you're going to tell me that it's a glorious day. As he watched the sunlight streaming through the window, he said, Yes, I am. I refuse to allow a row of medicine bottles to form the circumference of my world. Isn't that something? I want you to know that there are people that live with hurt every day of their life. Hurt that you and I probably 
do not understand. My dad used to tell me all the time growing up, he'd say, there was two things he'd tell me. He'd say, you better be real careful who you mess with because there's always somebody out there tougher than you. I haven't found him yet, but... (coughs) Okay, so maybe I have. Maybe I have. But he'd also say this. He'd say, there's always someone that has it worse than you, tougher than you. And I've had some tough days in my life. I've had some tough days. But I've often thought of that. I've often thought, there's somebody having a worse day than me today. Somebody having a worse situation or a worse circumstance than I find myself in. At times I can hardly imagine that to be the case. But it often is and almost always is. See, the victorious life is a life you must choose then. You must deliberately choose, watch now, to please the Lord who has already given you the victory. The very moment you choose Him, you receive His power and His enabling. We try to complicate it again. We look at every situation and we somehow think that we need to get victory in this one and this one and this one and this one. How do I get victory in this one? And how do I get victory in this one and that one and this one? No, no. You need only choose Him. Because He is the victory. When you allow your life to be consumed with Christ, all of a sudden your problems will melt away. Oh, they'll still be there, but they won't affect you the way they used to because He is there. You have the whole hope of this wonderful book that He wrote and left us. Matter of fact, this is the person, Jesus Christ, in written form. Romans 6.11 says, Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Reckon. We would say, we could say, reckon it to be so. Account it to be so. I can't get victory over sin. Of course you can't because you're already defeated. Your mind is so awfully powerful, you'll never understand how powerful it is. You have to choose victory. I will not allow this to defeat me. I have Christ. Claim His promises of victory. Reckon it to be so. And do not allow it to overcome you. You say, that's stupid. That's just positive thinking. Think what you want. But the last time I checked, when I prayed, God answered my prayers. He's obviously there. His power is real. It's legitimate. He says, neither yield to your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. So see, a victorious life of faith no longer lives by feelings. Ouch. Now we're getting to the real crux of the matter, aren't we? It's not lived by feelings, emotions, or even circumstances. Victory is a state not a situation. 
It is no longer manipulated by the emotions of discouragement or depression. I don't feel victorious has nothing at all to do with the fact that you are. You already are. I mean, are you saved because you feel saved? Or are you saved because you are saved? And you say, well, I know. Well, the Bible tells me I'm saved even when I don't feel like it. Well, guess what? You're a victor even though you don't feel like it. You need to start just claiming the victory. Just like you say to the devil, get thee behind me. I'm already saved. Don't try to tempt me that I'm not. I am discouraged and I'm tempted to believe I'm not saved. But I know I came to you the way the Bible says. And I know I humbled myself and I admitted my guilt and my sin. And I called upon the name of the Lord. And I trusted Him alone to save me, forgive me, and to take me to heaven. I will not let you, devil, tell me otherwise when God tells me I'm saved. Well, guess what? God tells you you're already a victor. You've already overcome Satan. You've already overcome sin. You've already overcome self through Christ. If you're living in the flesh, you will fail. But if you will surrender and submit yourself wholly and completely to Jesus Christ and His Word, you will be victorious. You've got to saturate yourself in the things of God, the person of Jesus Christ, that I may know Him, he says. As believers, we live and abide according to what the Word of God says, not by the circumstances. We say to ourselves, I walk by faith, not by sight. Isn't it easy to walk by sight? Gas prices go up. Life is a mess. You know, think about this. You know, the world walks by sight all the time, don't they? Do you know what's proof of that? Watch as we draw nigh. Probably more than likely as we draw nigh to this next coming election, our president will ensure that the prices of gas, price of gas drops. You know why? Because people walk by sight. All they will do is see what is happening immediately, associate that with our president, and they'll say, oh, he's doing wonders for the economy. Because I feel so much better with gas only being close to $3. And as soon as it's over, it'll all go back up. And we'll all feel horrible again. And we ride the roller coaster of the media and the roller coaster of our economy and the roller coaster of our relationships. And we're always up and we're down. And we're up and we're down. The Bible says that's not the victorious Christian life. The victorious Christian life is not one lived by feeling or emotion. It is lived by faith and faith alone. I don't think there's one person who knew how to live the victorious life better than the Apostle Paul. And obviously outside of Jesus Christ. He's a man of great faith. Without doubt, we all would admit that. He had great strength and power with God. But he endured a myriad of circumstances that were almost unbelievable. Take your Bible, look over to 2 Corinthians as we close. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Second Corinthians chapter 11. Notice what it says here about the Apostle Paul and the ordeals, I should say, of his ministry. Some of the things he faced. <clears throat> it says here, beginning in verse 23, chapter 11, they minister and they ministers 
Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. Am I more? In labors more abundant? In stripes above measure? In prisons more frequent? In deaths often? Oft? Of the Jews five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thirty-nine stripes. <clears throat> Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice or three times I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often. In perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness. Perils aren't good things, by the way. That means a real mess. In perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, verse 27, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. He says, man, not only do I got all that mess to deal with every day of my life, having to face all of these people that oppose me and ultimately lash out at me and hurt me and harm me and throw me out in the sea and do all kind of horrible things to me physically and emotionally. And sp- I mean, although all that's going on, I still have to deal with all those churches I've started and all those new converts and all their questions and all their concerns and all their needs and all their wants and all their desires. I'm struggling. I have felt the pressure of the ministry. I know a burden when I have one and see one. But despite his many trials and tribulations, Paul never lost his victory. Matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 9. Let's look there. 2 Corinthians 4, since you're right there anyway, just a few chapters back. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 and 9. Now again, you say, wait a second, this comes before chapter 11. I know, but remember, chapter 11, he's reflecting on his ministry looking back. So, here we are now as he's going through it. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 and 9. We are troubled on every side. You ever felt like that? yet not distressed. We are perplexed. You've probably felt that way. I know I have. But not in despair. Persecuted. We probably haven't been that yet. But not forsaken. Cast down. But not destroyed. Wow. (laughs) That's pretty awesome. Isn't that unbelievable? That woman at work looked at me cross-eyed. I hate this place and I hate her. Are you kidding me? I passed out a track the other day and that person said they didn't want it. I, I was mortified. Just simply mortified. Are you kidding me? My mom and dad told me I had to clean the bathroom. And I thought it was clean enough. I can't believe them. Oh, wow, you're really taking one on the chin for Jesus. We're all defeated. We're all discouraged. Are you kidding me? After what the Apostle Paul's been through? And yet he says, 
We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. But thanks be to God, 1 Corinthians 15, 57, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Boy, that victorious life is a life you must choose. Make up your mind today that you already are victorious. That you're already more than a conqueror. That you don't have to let sin rule. You don't have to let discouragement, depression, and negative feelings overwhelm you. You already have the victory because you already possess Christ. And I'm not going to let the devil, I'm not going to let this flesh, I'm not going to let myself ruin the victory in my life. I'm going to keep a smile on my face and in my heart. I'm going to continue to believe that I'm saved and on my way to heaven. And I'm never going to doubt that one day He's coming back. And I'm not going to believe that I've been left alone and left by myself in this world to have to deal with the people and the problems that arise. I have Him with me, always with me, by my side and in my life. And I'm going to claim that victory at all costs. Is it God's will that we live defeated lives? Obviously, it's not His will we live defeated lives. Wouldn't it be His will that we live victorious lives? See, God's made that provision for each of us and all of us. And it is His will that we experience a victorious Christian life. So here's my thought as we close. If that's the case, we sin against God by accepting and being satisfied with anything less than His will. You say, well, I'm just discouraged. Well, 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 wait a second. We sin against Him by accepting and being satisfied with anything less than His will. His will is that we're victorious. So if we accept any life except the victorious Christian life, if we say it's good enough, my life's good enough, even though I don't have victory, then we have settled to live a life of sin against God. Because God's will is that we live victoriously. I don't want you to settle, and I don't want to settle for anything less than what God's will for my life is. And that's victory. That's power. That's acknowledging His presence, His authority, His power in my life. No matter what I'm going through, I can hold my head up because I know He's there to carry me. Father, we come to You. Thank You again for just the...